0: Welcome to Made in Canada, an agricultural podcast. I'm Pedro Chamale. This is Episode 4, Synergy in Action. The word synergy is defined as the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a lot of words. I know it mostly from the 90s when folks on TV would make fun of it on sitcoms because synergy was the hot new word, but no one really knew what it meant, although it did make everything sound legit. Now, the intention of the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program is no doubt to provide benefit to everyone involved, workers, food producers, and consumers, to make sure there is a steady supply of food from the land to the table. The synergies are, in reality, both positive and negative. This episode, I want to pull back a bit and look at some other artists who have been tackling themes that are very similar to Made in Canada. I don't want you out there to think that we're the only ones asking these hard questions about systems, regulations, and the people that are affected by them. With that said, I'd like to introduce you to Miyako Ochi and Cole Seiki, who work together on a theatrical project based on the stories of migrant workers in the meatpacking industry in Alberta. We'll talk about the play itself, which is called Parts and Labor, in a later episode. For this week, I want to pick up on what Mieko and Cole told me about some of the context surrounding the industry. I started by asking them to tell me what they do.
1: I'm a freelance uh, director and dramaturg and playwright. And I'm also currently the new TV Associate Artistic Director at The Citadel and the outgoing Artistic Director at Concrete Theatre. I'm a
2: theatre artist and writer here in Calgary. I'm uh, also the Artistic Director of Inside Out Theatre, a deaf and disability theatre company here in Calgary. And just a general community organizer, dad. I just bought a bike, so I'm a cyclist now. That's
0: me. A big question I have for you. Well, maybe for me it's a big question because uh, it also a admission of ignorance that I had. Did you either of you hear of the program before starting this project?
1: Um, I had heard of it because of my work in schools during the residency in Brooks, but I knew that there had been, there was a meat packing plant there, and I knew there had been a strike there, so I had a little bit of awareness about it walking in but it was still quite shocking you know it, it's not a massive elementary school we were working in in one of my classes of grade 4 students I had three classes of grade 4s there were 17 students 11 of them English was their second, third or fourth language and they had one aide in the class and was working with uh, um, uh, a student with special needs and so really watching a teacher having to manage building language skills for like two thirds of a class mm-hmm. of, of students. And also just witnessing things like um, children being translators for parents, like if they were ill, having to be the translator between the principal and the parent to help explain what was going on at home and seeing a lot of kids taking on those caretaker kind of roles. So I kind of saw it, I guess, from um, the, the point of view of little children, but I could definitely feel the impact of this program the community. It was huge. So Brooks is
2: a city in Alberta. It's about a couple hours east of Calgary. Their population's around uh, around 13,000 or so. I'm not the most <laughs> sure recaller of numbers, but yeah, so a population of around 13,000. And now, where Brooks is now, is an incredibly diverse population so their city motto is the city of a hundred hellos reflecting the fact that there's over a hundred different languages spoken in brooks residents represent you know over a hundred different countries of origin and that's a relatively recent phenomenon in in brooks you know 20 years ago or so it was much more in the mode of what i think the the kind of popular imagination of a small alberta rural town is Uh, you know it's it's like a lot of small towns there's agriculture and oil and gas and then uh in the mid 90s there was a, a meat packing plant in brooks that was uh again a, a kind of typical meat packing plant of the time that was you know a small-ish compared to what it is now you know 500 or so employees owned by a family that had lived in Alberta for, for generations. And they were bought by a, a large multinational and converted into a, a 24-7, much more industrialized plant that produced boxed beef, which is essentially where all of the the breakdown of the meat into retail portions happens within the plant. And then that set off a, a chain of events where the work accelerated and and the work became more of a a strict assembly line or disassembly line process and also at the same time there were one of a number of oil and gas booms happening in Alberta which all kind of came together that meant that they could not find locals who were willing to do this work which is really just bloody brutal hard work. And that led them on a path to, we uh, interviewed someone for this project who's an anthropologist whose career is is about studying meatpacking plants and the effects they have on the the small cities that they are in, and and all of the kind of zooming out to the international implications of those plants. Describes how, you know, they first uh, tried to go to Lethbridge, which is, you know, a, a slightly larger city, an hour or so away to get staff. And, and that didn't really work. And then they went to Eastern Canada and tried to get folks from the Maritimes to come until eventually they started getting involved recruiting through first a refugee program. Um, there's a, 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 an initial big influx of folks from the Sudan and from Colombia, And then eventually to the temporary foreign worker program that had been kind of increasingly and incrementally being expanded in Canada. So that largely pushed this big influx of newcomers Michael Broadway, this anthropologist that I, I interviewed, also describes Brooks as being emblematic of this phrase that he has called beef boomtowns, which is where uh, a small city gets a, a massive meatpacking plant and you have all of the demographic changes and impacts that you get with uh, boomtown, you know, in, in Canada, what we imagine Fort McMurray in its heyday was. But without the the big influx of economic cash, and so you get all of the need with none of the resources, essentially that come. And and Brooks is pretty emblematic of that, and and was from the people we interviewed and what we saw, pretty unprepared for the massive transformation that was coming, and pretty pretty, <laughs> you know, in, in disbelief that that you know when. Michael Broadway and other researchers and and folks with experience were coming to Brooks essentially as these Cassandra figures trying to warn people being like, you need to be prepared for, for a housing crisis and a massive strain on your social service infrastructure and language in schools, like all these, all these things that, that they knew were going to become urgent needs in Brooks. It seems like, and from what the people that we talked to who were there at the time kind of unbelievable, and and so far removed from what their current understanding of their city was, that, that they did not prepare. Um, and, and all those things really did come to pass.
1: It was a community that had been forever changed by this plant, and relationships had been built and people had decided to put down roots, you know, after they got citizenship if they were able to, and so it was really changing the entire town.
0: Brooks, Alberta story may not be about agricultural workers per se, but it highlights the complex relationship between migrant workers and Canada's food supply that is shared across the sectors. Mark Fawcett-Atkinson is an investigative journalist who is passionate about stories related to food security. We asked him to talk about the bigger picture.
3: I'd say there's two, there's kind of two streams. There's migrant workers in Canada, Who are usually coming in through the temporary farm worker program or the seasonal agricultural worker program, Um, and they're most generally mostly employed at the farm level. So, in essentially all various tasks within farms, it can be from planting through the cultivation during the year to harvesting. Um, and the harvesting is actually probably the biggest crunch for many farmers where they just they need a lot of people and they can't find Canadians to do it and they can't find skilled Canadians to do it. So they, they hire migrant workers. Um, and that's what these programs, both the Temporary Farm Worker Program and the Seasonal Agricultural Worker Program were designed for. But in... Well, across Canada and BC I have the numbers in BC off the top of my head so like 63 percent of our produce in the province comes from the states essentially Inter- internationally but most of it's from the states and there as well their system the industrial agricultural system depends on mostly undocumented workers in the U.S. who are doing you know similar tasks the the, the hard labor you know the planting the weaving the harvesting the Some elements of the processing, kind of initial stages of the processing, and actually even beyond that, you know, there seems to be kind of increasing evidence of further up in in the processing chain as well. So in like meatpacking plants, for instance, Um, and the same could probably be said in Canada. I don't have the numbers off
0: on my head, though. So for people who are listening, could you? shed some light on what we might be thinking farming is versus an industrial process of farming. Mm, okay. So maybe
3: the image that people have is, of farming is when they go to the farmer's market and there's you know, a family or a, a, small farmers, essentially, um, who are kind of selling direct to market. And generally those farms that are small, a lot of hand labor and a lot of personal investment in terms of the industrial system, and speaking more spe- specifically in BC, they often are family farms, but they're larger scale, and the markets that they're targeting aren't generally aren't direct consumer markets in the same way. So it would be either selling to wholesalers, and you know, might stay in BC, and the provincial government has actually really been developing policies and programs and pushing to increase the amount of. The amount of food that's produced in a province that actually stays in the province, but there's also, you know, blueberries, for instance, in the lower mainland, um, are mainly an export crop, and all, you know, essentially all the labor for for that harvest will be coming from, from temporary farm workers. Or fruit would be another big one, in like um, stone fruit, peaches, apricots, uh, or apples as well. Yeah.
0: Awesome. What has it been like for you to engage with this subject? Like, how has your perception or your even in-store kind of ideas or thoughts have changed?
3: I'd say it, from a reporting side, what's tricky is it's very difficult to get access to people who are actually working um, because they want to protect their jobs, which is Super understandable, right? Um, And I also also don't speak Spanish, unfortunately, so the language barrier can be a bit of a, can be tricky, but not unsurmountable. It's mostly that you don't want to risk anyone's employment prospects. Um, You know, so really what I found is you need to kind of look at it from a more systemic level and then kind of see like how do these, yeah, how how does this kind of policy structure, you know, exploit people? And yeah, so I guess kind of reporting that's probably, it's, it's really hard to kind of get the, the super personal stories. Um, and when you do, you know, you, yeah, you, you, you need to be careful because you don't want to compromise people's employment. And then I, I don't know, in the store, for me, it, and I, you know, I've worked on farms. I've always had a sense that, you know, there's, you don't just like pick up an apple in the store and it can miraculously came from the tree right there's a whole series of processes and you know how it ended up there but it definitely yeah it definitely makes you aware I guess of how you know how, how the labor involved in in making that apple kind of get into the store isn't really compensated well essentially you know we, we aren't really paying enough for food but at the same time we don't pay people enough to be able to afford to pay enough for food um, on a
0: societal level, right? Thanks. That's, that's a yeah. yeah, exactly how I think along those lines as well. Knowing that food is basic inherent human right that we all need it to survive, and yet it has been commodified. The other
3: thing I'd say too is like there are definitely some farmers who are great, but often you know farmers are also pinched in this and you know they're also trying to so so they're not you know not have not paying enough for food it, it, it runs all the way down you know so workers aren't paid enough farmers they're struggling to keep their farms in business and at the same time you know we have i think it's 5.1 or 5.2 million Canadians you, you know million can't afford enough to eat right and we've just most of them are working so their wages aren't high enough yeah so it's this imbalance where kind of people at both ends of the system are Super pinched, and you know that the profit of our food is obviously not going to the people who either produce it or you know
1: all of us who need it to survive.
0: Our Spanish language dramaturg Daniela Atencia asked several migrant workers how much they wanted to be a part of the communities where they work. One of the workers we spoke with responded this way.
4: Más por curiosidad si hay em tu opinión uh porque ustedes vienen acá a trabajar a Canadá y están haciendo un trabajo muy duro, eh, si hay un interés desde parte de los trabajadores de pronto integrarse un poquito más con las con la comunidad canadiense, de pronto
5: is there an interest among workers or an interest from you personally to integrate oneself more with the Canadian community like organized outings to visit other towns or is the general feel that workers aren't really interested they are just here to work and that's it <inaudible>
6: Bueno, yo creo que hay de todo, eh, pero eh, si me lo planteas así, yo creo que la mayoría de la gente sí estaría muy interesada en conocer más e integrarse, porque sí no hay quienes, solo dicen sabes que yo quiero trabajar y trabajar y no salir a ningún lado y incluso trabajar más con la mentalidad de I think the
5: majority of workers would be interested in exploring and integrating. There are of course those who just want to work, work, work and not go anywhere and actually work more than is required with the mentality of the more I work, the better. But there's also the type that are happy with the hours they do work. It's quite varied, but in general, I think the majority would like some integration and go out and explore, because when you're there, you like to visit places to go see the beauty around you, like lakes. For example, in the region I'm in, There is an organization called Rama. They normally come visit the farms, and they usually organize two or three outings. And they take us out to do activities, like going to the beach, preparing meals, organizing games like playing soccer with workers from other farms. So yeah, the majority likes feeling part of the community. I would say most of them do, and a single few would rather just work
6: a sentirse parte del entorno del país entonces yo creo que sí es es más de integrarse que de no no salir y y pensar solo en trabajo
4: claro Eh, sí, me me alegra saber Eh, si sabemos de Rama y me parece que es una organización muy muy buena Eh, y hace cosas excelentes Eh, y sí, es que me me da curiosidad esta, esta, esta noción que hemos hablado con otros trabajadores que dicen sí que, que esta esta motivación de simple venir, simplemente venir a, a trabajar y a trabajar y a trabajar, eh, es, es ese, en tu opinión, Alberto, como el atractivo principal de venir a Canadá. Me estoy preguntando, o sea, qué, qué los motivos
5: yes, eh, también. We know It makes me wonder, is the main attraction of coming to Canada purely
6: economical?
5: Yes, I would say it's the main attraction, including mine. It's very attractive to earn in dollars. That's the main reason people go work in Canada. Workers in Canada can earn in one day what they might get in Mexico for one week's worth of work. It's a big difference. After a week, you've already earned what takes a month. That's a lot of money. That would be the number one motivation. Once you're in Canada, you start seeing nice things. It makes you want to explore. Not everything has to be about work. I don't think one is meant to live for work only. Then no one would be happy. I don't know.
6: I no. not I
0: Synergy in Action is a song that balances on the edge of optimism and reality. It was also the first song of the cycle I wrote lyrics to and that composer Michelle Cutler wrote music for. Before you hear the song, hear a bit from Michelle and me on the subject.
7: Okay, so we're now at Synergy in Action, the oldest song on the album written back in 2017.
0: Our most ancient of ancient Ancient.
7: songs. Uh, Ancient. This song, so... We, this one was the, f- it was my first attempt. That's why the lyrics sound so much more like lyricy And when we did the workshop in, uh, like a year ago, I remember feeling like, ugh, I'm just trying to like force this song that I wrote into something and maybe I should just write a new, different song. And I wasn't sure because there was stuff there that I knew kind of was there. Like the, the, the polka feel, like the sort of, um, some of the harmonic structures, the sort of big sustained held notes. There was stuff in there that was good, but I was like, Ugh, there I couldn't figure it out. And there was another section. So when we got to this year, I remember being like, oh, Pedro, I hate this song. Like, how can we fix it? And maybe should we just scrap it? I don't know. And then we were talking like very, very soon before rehearsals. And you're like, maybe there's just this one section that we cut. Because and- there was another, it was sort of like varied theater. It was like about like sad workers, like...
0: Yeah. And I think that was the one where we were were a little, we had yet to really establish the rules of how we were going to address editing the found text. And I think Mm -hmm. we kind of took a little bit of liberty of changing text um, mutually of like, oh yeah, I'm add this for dramatic effect. And and from what I remember, without actually pulling up the document, it was like, once they're here, they have nowhere to go. Yeah.
7: and it was like no
0: they, that, they, that they die and, and then like, they ended I'm, with like a oh canada flourish of the like the major third yeah, did yeah, i get yeah. that right did i get something musical right yeah yeah you did yeah of like a major third yeah, yeah. tone and and it was all this like really finger pointing at like fuck you canada yeah it was a which little on the nose we get to enough later on yeah. in the album <laughs> which in a more subtle way yeah which i feel better about and so even i back then like i didn't hate the whole thing but i yeah. like got what you were feeling and And when we were speaking just before the, the rehearsal started, I went, yeah, and this is the part, this is the part that I always, every time it came to that part, um, on the really early demo Mm -hmm. that I, every time it came, I was listening to that or heard it or thought about it. That was like, I don't, I'm not sure about this. And again, it's early on in our relationship working Mm -hmm. together that I didn't trust being able to give you that note. I I, I'm not josing for this because. This reason, yeah, and we we're still like feeling each other out artistically, and so then finally, when like you know a couple of years go by, then I was like, why don't we just cut this? Like, I have oh I- yeah,
7: and like, believe me, it goes both ways. Like, and also in the end, I was like, oh, Pedro, I want to cut this and this, and like, it was both of us. I think, yeah, feeling that, and and also that me just not having known much about the the show at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like this was before. I think I had seen much of a script. Like it was it was early. So anyway, so that was so I feel like when we kind of got here really recently and I was like, Oh no, the rest of it's great. Like it has, it has like, it does its job, right. Which is to, so synergy and then Canadian law, which comes out later is really, you know, the point of view of the government, right. They're trying to sell something. They're trying to, um, talk about this program as something that, um, you should want. Like, and, and so this perspective, the song is the Canadian government speaking to the Canadian citizens, right. Saying, Hey, there's all these people who are going to come, I remember 500,000 willing men, which is a line that came from somewhere. That's not something I don't think that's something we'd wrote. That's something that.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was um it was it's from a news article where it was speaking about 500,000 willing men come to Canada every year to work on our farms.
7: Right, which I think is the most hilarious phrase. I think yes. it's so good. Yeah. So, um Yeah, so so that's where that we sort of landed, I think in a place that that's really fun now and I really and then we got to capture like all those voices from the room, which real just made it more fun. And Ale's performance is just hysterical. And
0: yeah. And I think there was a, yeah. And I think in, in this one too, we had not designated who was singing this. I think earlier versions, we had the group singing it. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it was just like all voices all the time. Like I wanted, and again, you know, you forcing me to pick <laughs> <laughs> who's going to sing these. But then choosing when those group vocals came in, I think, is what added in and uh, me sneaking on there in the 500,000 Willing Men um, with all all the other singers was really great.
7: Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said about the fact that the two songs that are coming from the perspective of the Canadian government are being sung by people whose Spanish is their first language. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually
0: didn't really think about that till right now.
7: Yeah, I think, you know, people who were not born here... um, I don't know what exactly it it says, but I think it's interesting.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, all of our singers are, are Latinx and and yes, uh, yeah. just different journeys on that on mm-hmm. that kind of um, non monolith experience that is Latinidad. And but yes, uh, Alexandra and Alan have em- immigrated here um, later in their lives too. So you know, you can hear their accents and and stuff like that because we're, we would never ask ask them to erase their accents. So it adds even more to these songs, I think in certain ways.
7: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is actually. I just think it's interesting that that's a, where we ended up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
0: it was certainly not a thought going into it. We weren't like, no. Oh, make these two people sing these two songs.
7: No. I mean, I think with Esclavitude we did, we're kind of like, well, that's, we wanted it to yeah. be them because it's in Spanish. And yes. Yeah. And proficiency and all those yeah. things. Yeah.
0: But yeah. So then synergy is the oldest song we have and has gone on a journey and on has a real ride. Yeah but we certainly didn't touch it since that February workshop.
7: Yeah. And we left it off the EP. Cause I was like, ugh, I don't know. I don't know about this. So we just, and we didn't have enough time. So it was the, it was the obvious choice for me to like not do in when we when we recorded the EP. Um, but now I, I don't know. I, I think that we sort of, it's so funny with music that sometimes you sort of just figure it out. You kind of just like, and it's usually this tiny thing, right? It was one little verse. I adjusted the, the way the chorus sounded a bit like sort of the end, but like not And even the much. way
0: Alexandra attacks synergy in action, the phrase, the cor- Yeah, like
7: So that phrase, I think it was the only real musical change was that sort of, it used to be synergy in action. And now it's synergy in action like that. Yeah. You'll hear, you hear how <laughs> Alexandra attacks it. In the, uh, in it's record. yeah. Slightly different. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear synergy in action.
8: To recruit you can find stairs
0: We cycle around to the only song that is entirely in Spanish, and composed by someone other than Michelle, Ray Alegria.
8: I I didn't uh, uh, go through that same um, immigrant uh, situation, but I, I feel a, a lot um, for my people, right, for, for Latin Americans, Mexicans. And I, I was like,
0: I'm going to do something good for them with this music. Thanks for listening, my friends. Take care. Made in Canada, an agricultural podcast, was written and narrated by me, Pedro Chavale. It is edited and co-produced by Kathleen Flaherty and is produced by Derek Chan and Howard Dye of Rice and Beans Theatre. Spanish translation by our Spanish dramaturg, Daniela Atencia. Thanks to Playwrights Theatre Centre and today's guests, Miyako Ochi, Cole Seiki, Mark Fawcett Atkinson, Michelle Cutler and the migrant worker who prefers to remain anonymous. Thank you to all the funders and donors who made the Song Cycle possible. The Canada Council for the Arts, the BC Arts Council, the province of British Columbia, and the city of Vancouver. You can find out more about the podcast and Made in Canada an Agricultural Song Cycle, or support us and purchase the album at micsongcycle.ca. That's micsongcycle.ca. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.